Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series, I'm PB. I'm Acorn. And I'm Murgles. Shall we begin? Yes. 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 But before we dive in, I just want to point out that this is a companion podcast. It's not a watch along. So if for some reason you clicked on this before any of the others, you want to go watch the series and then come back uh, and listen. We've also chosen to run the podcast as a discussion between friends, so we each go away with the topic for the week, we've written our own notes, and then we come together and share. We don't have sneak peeks at our notes or anything like that ahead of time, so that means we won't always get everything completely right, but it should also lend for more surprises, and ultimately, we want you to feel like you're in our living room discussing right along with us. I do have an icebreaker question for the week. <gasps> oh, yes. Yes. I was hoping... Me too. If, if you could identify and look at your life as a show or a story, what is one recurring theme that continually repeats in your life? Oh, shit. <laughs> That's a good fucking question, right? That's a really that good is, question. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. And I don't even know if I have it. I don't even know if I can identify the answer to this question other than, you know, like, Maybe a really sad one, which I don't want to go with, but. <laughs> well, this one still might be a little heavy because the first word that popped into my head is not a happy one. Yeah. But if I further that and say it's not a state of being, but a storytelling theme, like a narrative theme. Yeah. What would it be? Like the first thing that comes to mind for me is not necessarily a one word theme, but like against all odds mm. would be probably for me. For, I like that. Yeah, against all odds or like crazy luck, probably the, those two things, because yeah. I uh, from the moment I was born, I think that theme repeats itself. Like I was yeah. born and I was supposed to die and I didn't. I survived. I was born with this like medical thing called a diaphragmatic hernia. And it's super rare. And 10 percent of babies live like survive it. Yeah. And so I was in that 10%. And then I've had multiple medical issues throughout my life. I've had many losses through my life. I've like just all these things that I would argue would be major setbacks or traumas, which they are. But I think I've also been extremely lucky and somehow found ways to push past those things that have sort yeah. of like held me back and sort of against all odds. I yeah. found my way to where I am and I'm sure it will continue, but yeah. Almost a serendipity in a way. Yeah. Right. Even though serendipity yeah. I think is more whimsical and you're, I've, I don't feel like necessarily attaching, I feel like attack, attaching whimsy to your life narrative would do a disservice to your life narrative. <laughs> um, not that whimsy is bad. It's just, I feel like that word isn't quite perfect because I do feel like sometimes you know, you're a little, um, 
your little uh, fisherman or a, a sailor in a boat. And sometimes there are squalls, you know, and it's like, yeah, you do navigate it against all yeah. odds, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think that that one's a pretty good one. Very insightful. Hey, Corn, do you have one? Yeah, I think I'm going to spin it in a more positive way. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> as as humans, our brains tend to go to the negative first. Mm-hmm. I would say my my theme, and it may not be like a storytelling or, you know, what is it you called it? Uh, repeating narrative or, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, just a narrative well, theme. I, I guess I guess, I guess it is pretty much that. Um, I'd say reinvention. Because mm, that's a I've good gone one. through... Yeah, I've gone through a lot of different seasons and phases in my life, and I've had to be really adaptable in order to get through it. So, you know, losing a parent at a young age, going through a very um, manipulative, uh, abusive household as a teenager, having to kind of reinvent the way that I saw myself in reaction to a lot of those things and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And oftentimes it didn't really take hold and I had to reinvent myself again in reaction to something. So, you know, it just manipulation was the word that came to mind in case anyone is wondering, because I've actually Mm. been through a lot of manipulative relationships with people who could be narcissists um, or at least exhibited narcissist behavior. That is a narrative theme. Manipulation is, I mean, we see it in dark. It's one of the themes and a major theme in dark. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. So I guess manipulation in an external sense, reinvention yeah. from an internal sense. Yeah. So that actually is a perfect segue into the one uh, that I uh, settled on, which was internal conflict would be mm-hmm. one that repeats for me and just introspection too. Cause there's a lot of, uh, a lot of themes where my choices are rooted in a deep or an attempt at a deep understanding of myself. So, you know, my big crazy move to Canada, uh, you know, and, you know, marrying my partner whom I had known online for a very long time, but, you know, we had only really physically met in person for a month. Everyone thought we were crazy. That is probably a theme that continually repeats that introspection where I have to take a step back and look at where I am and what's happening and then make a decision to move forward. Like I don't, impulse is not really a word, even though like, I think when I was younger, I was a little bit more chaotic. And I think I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be that person that was like impulsive and would take major risks. And I think when you look at my life on paper, it looks that way. You know, I did do some crazy shit, you know, and I uprooted my life and moved to Canada and I, you know, quit my photography job to do streaming on the internet and run tabletop shows. And I think looking at that, it seems like impulse, but it's not. It's very much so the opposite of that, um, where I just spend a lot of time thinking and pondering and feeling my way around myself before I make a decision which is, I don't know what that theme would be. I actually, um, I think maybe an interesting question is what we would think of each other. Because when I look at you, the first thing that comes to mind always is fearlessness. Just unbridled fearlessness. This idea of, and I don't think that it's necessarily, I would never say that you act on impulse. I would say that you, you are extremely good knowing when something is worthy of your time and effort. And I would say that knowing you for as long as I have and looking at your 
you know, info on paper. Obviously, I can't know everything that goes on within you, but I consider you to be an extremely fearless, passionate, open human being who is just sort of like attacking these things that bring you joy. Like basically you find something that brings you joy, that gives you a spark. And I feel like you go after it in this way and you make it work and you succeed at it in a way that is like inspiring. And yeah, Yeah. it's like inspiring and uplifting for everyone around you. You know, I do think that there's probably an element of like nervousness when those things are happening, almost as if something is pulling you towards those things. And you can have a bunch of reasons as to why that would be a bad idea or something like that, you know. Uh, But I feel like you you really are. There's something within you that guides you to those things and you follow that and you don't ever I feel like you don't ever give up on yourself in those moments. You you persevere through those moments of doubt and all that stuff and create a beautiful existence out of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think I've met many people who follow their gut instincts and their desires the way that you do. And it's really inspiring. Well, I'm going to cry, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. That's a very nice thing to say, because I feel like a lot of the time I do live in fear. (laughs) So um, I appreciate that. And I will counter Mergs, the first word that came to mind for you was the opposite of stagnant, something that's always moving, kinetic, ever flowing, because I do feel like you go through a lot of change. A lot of change happens around you, but you also change. And I My don't. My brain went to the same place. Yeah. Like the first thing I thought of when I was trying to think of this was waves for you. So, which is again, I'm envisioning this little fisherman on this like sea of, you know, change or just life and, uh, you know, going with the flow, which I know you th- would probably consider that to be very contradictory to kind of like how you f- probably feel you operate. But I do feel like you actually do operate that way. You <laughs> very much are, you know, go with the flow. There was, there are times I think where you have anxiety around what is happening and the flow, the nature of the flow itself. But in the end, you yeah. always submit to it. You always trust in that. And I think that that's pretty flipping cool. And that's the first thing that came to mind when I, when I thought of yours. And it's funny because mine for Acorn was Phoenix. So like oh. that, that <laughs> resurrection and that like reincarnation was the first thing I thought of for you, Acorn. And you said that for yourself. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. I actually, I actually thought like an oak tree, like a, like a yes. solid oak tree yeah. for acorn, which it, maybe acorn and then oak is how my brain got there. But uh, no, but this no, idea I totally of like this, this visceral so strength. <laughs> yeah. This like visceral strength of just like very, despite, I think, despite what, um, the way that you might feel about this idea of transience and being sort of moved around and the idea of manipulation, I feel like you at, at center are extremely rooted. I don't know, like, I feel like you're just very rooted, very strong. And the core of you is just immovable in this really beautiful, reliable, like, stunning way. Yeah. And everything that you do, Acorn, when you're like living your life and the projects that you're choosing to do, it's like you 
are growing, you know, because the oak tree will go very slowly, but it will live for a long time. So everything that you're doing in the foundation that you're building for yourself, that's that's what I see. Everything that you're doing is foundation for something else. Yeah. And yeah. So I agree with Mergs in that way that it could also be an oak tree that that um, very rooted fundamental foundation. Those are all good words. Or how it you goes live with your the life, reinvention sure. too, yeah. because mm-hmm. you know when a tree is really small, it's weathering the mm-hmm. elements and it's growing around things that it needs to, and eventually it gets there. Eventually, it's yeah sturdy and and big. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hearing you talk about Mergles PB helped me solidify what I was thinking in my head, and I think for you, Mergles, I see like a font or a spring something that has incredible unexplored depths, but is constantly outpouring itself and adapting. And to the point, I actually, the go with the flow PB, I think that's where it comes from because a spring, a spring is so self-possessed. Everything else moves around it because it is moving in its own way and it's, it will do as it does, but especially the unexplored depths, because I think that you think you understand a spring when you look at it, but then when you start to explore it, you realize that you have no idea what's yeah, in it. And it's it's really exciting. I like that. And I also like the idea, the imagery of the the bubbling of a yeah. spring or fountain, because Marks, that's like one of my favorite things that you do. You are so open with everything about yourself. You're open with your shortcomings. You're open with your successes. You're open. You're just open. You're so open. Um, and I admire that. I admire the hell out of that. So that's probably my favorite thing about you, actually. I remember, I think we were at, it was our Thanksgiving dinner, I think. And you just like, I think you said, it was one of our first dinners together. And this this princess goes, oh, it's been like two weeks since I've done laundry. And I was like, I wouldn't fucking admit that to anyone, <laughs> let alone a stranger I've met for one week. Like just something like that. I don't know if it was that exactly, but it, she was just like, but then it, it wasn't like putting herself down because then she just turned around and said, you know, I, yeah, I just don't have the time to do that right now. Like I, you know, this is my priority and I'm not going to apologize for it, but also it's the fucking truth. You know, I'm not going to hide it either. And I just, yeah. I was like, I was so very impressed by, and, and she does that all the time. You know, it's not just uh, stuff like that. She talks about, you know, when she makes a realization that is helping her. Here's another example. You stopped watching a TV show because you just weren't able to watch that show. And it was kind of like you were open about the process of you were putting yourself down about not being able to go through that. And then you were like, but then I realized, fuck that. <laughs> and that's wrong. You know, I don't want to feel that way about, you know, not being able I realize that I'm not articulating it properly because I'm not saying the type of show or because I don't want to overstep and tell your story. But I just, I really admire that you do that. You're very open. And I do love the idea of this like bubbling brook or something that where it's like, you know, you you think it's like a tiny stream and then you go and it's like this fucking paradise that's like hidden behind oh. this grove, you know, like I, I do like yep. that because I do think... And I, and you do kind of prioritize your own growth and you're, you're like your own little gardener of your, your soul and your psyche and like everything that's going on. And you take the job very seriously. I admire that. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank that. Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) That's a very beautiful way to say that I overshare. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. 
oversharing. It's the oversharing for me, baby. <laughs> oversharing. I love it so much. I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. And it's like my favorite thing. Oh, but, thanks. Yeah. So the, I, the reason I picked that, the reason I picked that um, topic, and thank you for your open and honest answers, was because I was super disappointed when I started doing <laughs> my research for Agnes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I realized she is a theme in dark. Mm. The reason she wears red lipstick is because she is immovably trapped in sick moodness. It is not red lips of power and decision. It is not empowering for her. And I find that so incredibly depressing. She wears, she wears, first of all, she wears bright colors, which most of the other characters in the show do not. Um, And she at various points in the seasons has worn all three colors, the yellow, Mm -hmm. the red, and the blue. But ultimately, Agnes is a plot device. And that is super depressing to me. So we're going to go through her timeline here in a quick recap, and then we'll dive in to why I'm so disappointed by that. Anyone else want to take off their red lipstick now? Because we all came to this call wearing red lipstick, being like, let's celebrate Agnes. Let's celebrate Agnes. Nope. Red lips have walked in despair. (laughs) Well, but we should, because like, I I still feel like it's important to talk about that because on the outside, I looked at her and was like, you know, I felt empowered watching her make these decisions. And then when I went and I did more research on her, to find that there really was none. There's not a lot there with Agnes. And yeah, that's super depressing. But, you know, so were we just looking at her and then wanting more strong women in the show that like, you know, make their own decision? I realize Dark is a show about not any, everything's predetermined and nobody can make their own fucking decisions. But I did find it a little bit sad that, um, you know, why did we identify her? Instead of Claudia. I mean, we did identify Claudia and other women who are very strong and making their own decisions in their lives. Yeah. But why did we immediately gravitate towards Agnes as the one who did that? Is it because of her lesbian relationship? Like, I have so many questions, which we'll dive into in a second. But first, I am going to go through her her timeline here. Yeah, Um, short timeline. Yeah, her very short timeline. I checked Um, the IO website and was like, well, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit disappointing, but also strange that I didn't really catch it. And also, I ended up catching her name change, which oh, was weird. Wait to talk about that, yeah, um, it blew me away. Yep. And actually, okay, so like real quick, what you were just saying about mm-hmm. her appearance, the way that we emotionally reacted to her as being like a boss bitch in charge yeah. of her destiny, yeah. It's like it's like a mask. It's like a front. And yes. the fact that she took a name that wasn't hers is also kind of like a mask or a front for her identity, yes. right? Yes, yes. And 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 she did it um which you know like we'll get into that, but I I feel like yeah. every decision she ever made wasn't hers to make. Um yeah. yep. And oh man, I think that walking away from Doris was the only decision she ever actually made for herself. And so now I'm okay with it. You think yeah. so? I do. Oh, we'll talk I about it. another thought. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have so many thoughts. I know. <laughs> let's do um, the Okay. So Agnes Nielsen, she was born as Agnes Tauber. She's the mother of Trant. 
Okay. She's a time traveler and a secret follower of Claudia Tiedemann, which is interesting because she's technically a Tiedemann. Uh, mm -hmm. So following that genetic line. As a young girl, Agnes helps out in the Wyndon Tavern. When a young man arrives in 1921, she prepares a room for him. Little does she know it's her great-great-grandson, Jonas. Although I don't know if that's true. I don't know if she knew that or not. They say little does she know, but maybe she did know. After spending many years away, and that's why she never spoke to him. After many, spending many years away, Agnes returns to Winden in 1953, using a different name. She says her husband, a pastor, has passed away. Together with her son, Trant, Agnes lodges in the Tiedemann family home. She forms a close friendship with Doris that soon develops into a secret affair. Agnes maintains contact with old Claudia Tiedemann. Agnes is hoping to rejoin Sigmundus and shares information with Noah about Claudia and the missing notebook pages. Her betrayal leads to Claudia's death at the hands of Noah, her brother. Agnes is present when Noah threatens Adam with a gun in Sigmundus' underground headquarters. The gun jams and Agnes takes it. She turns it on Noah and shoots her own brother. That's the last we fucking see of Agnes. Ooh, one That's, more scene. Oh, man. That's her fucking timeline on the website. Um, on the dark IO? On the dark IO. Now, I have one with a timeline that I've, I have put together. So yep. 1910, Agnes is born to Celia and Bartosz Tiedemann. So she's technically a Tiedemann. 1921, she's working for the innkeeper. On June 22nd, that's when she encounters teenage, teenage Jonas. They don't exchange words. And I wonder if it's because she did know who he was. At some point in her adulthood, Agnes leaves Winden, meets the unknown. She claims that they were married, but I honestly don't think that that is true. I yeah. think she did her duty. She was a fucking broodmare. Brood yeah, <laughs> she had sex with the unknown, produced this baby, and then left. Um, yeah. I do think that the unknown was creepy and violent towards her during their time together. Maybe also even potentially violent towards Trant. Um, mm -hmm. It's it is also up for debate whether or not she married the unknown, but I just don't see that as I don't see that as a thing that they needed to keep up for appearances. I think I think it sells better. Like I I buy the idea that she just said that she was married because, because she was in a town in the nineteen fifties yeah. and you can't yeah. be an unmarried woman. Exactly. So you just go like, Oh, he died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was exactly. married and he died. Yeah, but I don't believe that they were ever actually married or that they were trying to live a life or pretend or anything like that. Like and be I in think, love or. Yeah. yeah. And I think that Trant knows that, which is part of why maybe he hates this, hates her, you know, and doesn't mm -hmm. like her. Um, I shouldn't say hate, but there's clearly some issues there. Um, she has her son Trant in 1941. And then they do skip. 1953. Agnes and Trant moved to Winden in 1953. Shortly after arriving, she encounters Ulrich Nielsen, her grandson, who she traveled back from 2019 while searching for his son. Ulrich gives them directions to the Tiedemann home, where she has arranged to rent a room. She tells the Tiedemanns that her husband has died and that her grandmother always spoke fondly of the town. So keep in mind, her grandmother's Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Trant tells the Tiedemann's daughter, Claudia, that Agnes has a brother but hates him and they have no other family. Aegon Tiedemann inquires after Agnes's grandmother, but they are interrupted by Claudia and Trant returning from the forest having lost Gretchen, their dog, and she never gives him an answer. Now, soon, 
Agnes develops a romantic relationship with Doris Tiedemann. I think it's pretty clear that this was done to drive a wedge between Doris and her husband, Aegon, so that Aegon would then go and have an, an affair with Hannah and then birth Agnes's mother, Celia. Yeah, right? yeah. She knew all along what she had to do here. Whether or not she developed feelings for um, Doris is up for debate. I, after doing my research, I'm now more on the side that she did not love Doris, unfortunately, as heartbreaking as that is for me. Um, and we'll go into that here in a second. But early to mid-1954, Despite being a member of Sigmundus for seemingly all her life, she at some point defects to become a follower of Claudia, straining her relationship with her brother somewhere in the process. It's not clear when or why she defects. We never get to know, but it is most likely sometime after the photograph taken in January of 1954, because we see it. It's possible that she left in response to her brother being tasked at kidnapping and murdering children on Adam's behalf. She suggests to Claudia that she used to fear her brother, but she doesn't anymore. In the meantime, she continues raising Trant and engages in the Tiedemann affair. 1954, June 23rd, Claudia catches them in the middle of an intimate moment. And Claudia has a conversation with her saying, she could make you happy. Implying that maybe, you know, I know my mother loved you, you can stay. She will make you happy. Yeah. I was older Claudia in the bunker, right? Yes. Yep. Um, and that is, uh, that's still in 1953, where she, Claudia essentially says, I need you to, you must betray me to Noah. Um, and that's what you have to do as a follower. Yeah. I think that that's, that's very, very interesting. And she says, you know, you, um, you know, she would make you happy. And then there's a hesitation there. And I, when I first watched the show, was like, oh, they're in love. And, you know, she she's hesitating because she's trying to decide if she wants to be with Doris or not. But I actually think two reasons why I think she didn't love Doris. Or maybe she might have had feelings, but she just didn't know if they were her own or not. The fact that she says, you're beautiful when Doris says, I love you. And that's the Ulrich line. And they wouldn't have put that line in there otherwise like they did it on purpose we know that to be true so there's that line and then claudia saying to her someone who has had their whole life planned from them from day one no decision is your own and that person says to you you can stay if you want she will make you happy fuck you you that's not your decision to make walking away was agnes's only decision that she ever truly made and she tried to do it twice. The second time she succeeded and we never see her again. I buy that. I buy Boy, do it I too. buy that. Yeah. Yeah. There I really is buy a, that. Um, there is a, uh, I'd say there are two camps on Reddit. One where they believe she fucked off and went back to live with Doris. I don't believe that to be true because later we see Doris at the, um, the last conversation that Agnes has with Doris. She's wearing a yellow dress. And then later we see Doris touching the yellow dress in the closet as if it was left behind and Agnes went away. Now, there, there, there is a theory that, yes, she saw that, but there's always time. She can always come back and change her mind later. But I don't think that's true. And I hope that that's not true. While I do want Agnes to be very happy, 
I think that you can find happiness in choosing something for yourself and getting far away from that abuse because that's what it was. Her whole life was abuse. I can't imagine. I can't imagine staying with Doris and ever being able to have a good relationship because she'll never be able to tell her the truth. Yeah. And that's not a good basis for a relationship. Yes, they're in love, no. but like at what point is she able to sometimes, man, you just have to cut ties and it hurts and it sucks. And yes, Agnes may have been developing feelings for Doris, but I think the best thing for her is to get to a world without Wyndon, far, far, far away from all this trauma and abuse and this cycle. Yeah. I actually yeah. have a theory about, yeah. um, I have a pretty major theory about Agnes and her psychological positioning and why we think that she's so empowering when we first see her, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So one thing that I noticed hugely is that Agnes has, we first, when we first see Agnes as a child, she has this braided hair style yes. over her head. The Heidi crown. And then, yeah, the Heidi crown. And then when we see her right before she kills Noah and she is deep in Sigmundus again, and then we see her reuniting with Adam in the future, yeah. which I believe is the last time we see her, she has that same hairstyle. Yeah. And so I think that those two, I, there, I think there's a meaning in the sense that those two Agneses are the same Agnes. Yes. And when we see her, I think the reason why I saw her as empowering is because she wore, she was dressed as empowering. She yes. was dressed in this way where she was in 1950s. Everything in Wyndon is colors. gray, bold colors, red lipstick. She stood out and Typically, I think we associate that idea. We associate red lipstick with empowerment, yeah. feminine, this like raw feminine energy or something. Yeah. And then we see her seducing Doris. And that's like a whole other thing that I took as she's, you know, this strong, independent person in this time period that's holding her back. Yeah. When she goes back to the Heidi crown and the gray drab colors and back into Sigmundus. Part of me wonders if that was the real her the whole time. Yeah. And she was having to put on a mask as, as you guys said earlier, in order to accomplish the tasks that she had with Sigmundus. Yeah. Or if it's almost like she had that taste of freedom in real life, but she needed to go back to what was actually comfortable. You yes. Know? So I look at, I'm so glad you brought that up because I look at Agnes's story and I had the same thing, right? Thought she was super empowering and great. And then it's like, I look at her story and this idea that she, she tried to leave this really abusive situation and it took two tries really for her to do it. I think, you know, she leaves that first time, but then is kind of lost and then needs to go back in. So she betrays her brother so that she can get back in Adam's good graces, right? She, it's just what she knows. She's just, it's just comfortable. Yeah. I will say that there was a moment when I was doing my research on her timeline where I think, I don't think it was the dark IO. I think it was the wiki mm -hmm. that said that Claudia actually conspired with her to yes. betray Claudia to Noah. Yes. And she ends back up in Sigmundus. And now the question for me at that point is, does she do that for Claudia or did she do that? Did she do everything for Sigmundus and that so she never actually two, left? There are two separate instances of betrayal with Agnes. Well, yeah, three, if you count Doris, so, yeah. which is interesting. 
she conspires with Claudia to betray Claudia to Noah. And then Noah yeah. kills Claudia. Mm-hmm. And she does that to be able to help Claudia. As far as we know, it's not yeah. to get back into sick Mundus. And then separately, she approaches Adam and is like, I want, I want back in. Yeah. So those are two different instances where she, you know, and is it because she lost Claudia? Her motivations are so unclear to me because it doesn't make sense for her. It doesn't make sense for her to defect in the first place. Then she defects back. Yeah. If you argue that she asked Claudia. She's trying to get out, right? Like if if the reason she defected was... Noah, you're killing kids, and I now have a kid of my own. Except she doesn't really seem I don't to buy give a that. shit. Yeah. You know? It just seems weird. And while I'm not saying I'm not saying that there can't be a motivation to want to get out, it's just they didn't present it to us. So I don't see yeah. it. I don't see yeah. her motivation to want to get away from her brother. And then uh, okay, that's not true. She could definitely want to get away from her brother and Sigmundus because of the fucking treatment that she took and the fact that, you know, she just realized, oh, I'm just here to, you know, exist and pop out a baby and, you know, the unknown is a monster and that's enough of a reason. There, there exists a reason for her to want to bail. Yeah. But then to want to get back in, I just don't, I, twice. Well, what if, with Claudia what if, and then with Adam. Well, what if the reason why Adam, I wonder if Adam gets her to come back because he offers her Noah. I wonder because she's the one who kills Noah. She has a look in her eye when she does it. Like she's been waiting for it her whole life. Almost. I mean, or it could be just like sad. I don't want to do this, but I have to do it for sick Mundus. Dude. But I wonder if maybe he kind of gave her Noah on a platter or something. That's actually an interesting theory because Noah's older. So I wonder if all the shit that she was going through, Noah was like, well, you have to do it for paradise. Yeah. And then to watch him defect and be like, fuck you. This was wrong all along. She was probably like, I've been fucking telling you that for years and you fucking deserve this because you told me I had to do this. I had to get, you know, I had to get raped by the unknown or have a baby with the unknown or whatever, you know, and then to have that anger towards him makes sense. But also, why wouldn't you be angry towards Adam? I don't get it. It's strange. She's a strange character. And the more and more research I do on her, I feel like she was a plot device. And it's a little bit disappointing. Now, what's interesting about that is that Agnes, we've talked about the name meanings and that her name means pure it's the name of an early saint, Agnes of Rome, who by legend refused the sexual advances of a Roman noble. And then the Roman noble reported to her to the authorities as a Christian, and she was martyred as a result. When I read that, I went, oh, that's why you called her Agnes. She's literally a martyr for this time, for the timeline, for the story. There is no other. She is not her own person. She is a shell of a person. And that is so sad to me. I still think they had more information, more content that could have fit into another season. Yeah, I agree. Going through and watching every scene. And I'm telling you, I poured over every scene. I wrote down transcripts. I sat there and thought about what they said. And I actually disagree with a couple of things that you both believe. But at the same time, it's there's so little to go off of. You really could see it from any direction. Yeah. But there is. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. 
Well, starting with the timeline, there were a couple things that I actually tried to piece together using not only Agnes, but also Tranta and Claudia. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and I watched a lot of scenes with all these different characters. Um, I do think that she gives birth to Tranta around 1941. And who knows if she's telling the truth with being with, you know, being quote unquote married for 15 years or whatever. Um, but there is this really big theme with Tranta about being in an orphanage. He yeah. has a conversation with Claudia. He then has another conversation about it with Yana. And he seems to say that his burns came from his time in the orphanage. And so yeah. I was thinking, well, when did he go to an orphanage if he was yeah. in Sigmundus with his mom this whole time? Well, I think it makes sense because if she has Tranta around 1941 and then is in the picture of Sigmundus in 1921, maybe they brought her back to 1921 and she left him in an orphanage while she was away doing Sigmundus stuff. Yeah. Here's a thought too. Just a, just a counter thought. Um, what if he's lying? What if the orphanage didn't exist? What if the orphanage is the only way he could explain Sigmundus? The weird we cult about he was that in. in previous episode. Yeah, yeah. That was my first impression. Like he was translating his experience in Sigmundus into terms yeah. that this world, this 1953 world, but no. Um, but, I don't know because yeah, I don't actually now that I'm thinking about it, like Trant Trant's kids go missing. There's time travel all around him and he has no idea. He's an everybody else. That's true for the most part. Claudia. Until, Until Claudia. Claudia. Yeah. 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 When he's an so, old man. So I am actually not sure that he was ever aware of or involved with Sigmundus. Yeah. And that maybe would that's actually why they did it. Yeah, yeah, him orphanage. being dropped off in an orphanage. And actually, to go off of what you were saying, PB, about her conflicted feelings about the work that Sigmundus was doing, if she was arranged with the unknown, had Trant dropped him off into an orphanage, and then went on and did work for Sigmundus in 1921, she would have seen firsthand all of this shit going down with like Noah and the kids. There was a lot of check-ins. Uh, Adam was like dictating where they would go. Well, then That's the question true. is... And that's so fucking important to remember. And I'm such a time travel freak. And I still forget time isn't fucking linear for these characters. She could have Tront in 1941 at, you know, 23. And then at 24, she, or, uh, uh, sorry, excuse me, has him in 41 and then at 23 and then at 24, she goes back to 1921 and we see for her that's her chronological order, right? She has baby, then goes through the horrific events of 1921 and then defects or, you know, like her defecting period for her could be all in the same five years of her life. But for us, yeah. it looks like three different iterations of her not wanting to be a part of Sigmundus. I think that's what makes her her timeline really tricky, too, because a lot happens in a short amount of time. And then mm-hmm. we don't see her on screen very much to really like flesh out those, those acts. But so the Claudia thing, I was so bothered by the fact that Agnes is so much a pawn. She's so much like a soldier. She's being ordered around by Sigmundus and then also kind of by Claudia. So I went back and I watched some Claudia scenes just to like try to understand why and how she was working with Claudia. I actually think Claudia may have been the one who took her from Sigmundus, picked up Tranta and brought them to 1953 and started working together. Because at that I point... I fucking believe that theory so hard. I think Claudia had the Apple device because she killed Alt-Claudia, remember? So Claudia oh, yeah. is the one who told her to go with Doris. 
I think so. Yep. So it's okay. not Adam. I'm into this oh. theory. So Claudia is the one that's like, you need to, okay. No, no, no. This makes so much sense because she wants out of Adam's trauma story, yeah. right? And Claudia says, I can help you do that. And, you know, here, I need you to go do these things. I need you to seduce my mom. And that's, that scene in the bunker is so weird because there's so much happening in between the lines. Because when Claudia gives her the newspaper clipping, she tells Agnes, you must give this to me, but not yeah. now. There's still time. Yeah. And then it's weird because Agnes looks at her almost like it's dawning on her and she's like, today? And then Claudia nods. And so I thought about it for a while. And I think what I think that could have meant is Agnes saying, oh, today is this the last time I'm going to see you? Has it come? Yeah. And Claudia said yes, because Claudia is about to go and do all of her endgame yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then following that, that interaction in the bunker, Agnes actually has all these scenes of her looking really distracted and thinking and like pouring over something in her head. Like yeah. there's a quick scene with her and uh, Doris at a, at a table sharing a drink and she's like lost in thought. And then Doris comes up cause they had like, you know, hooked up earlier that day and she's like, hi. And then Agnes has to like put a smile on. Yeah. And then later she's sitting on the side of the bed with, um, with Tranta and she's like really thinking and she, this whole time she's wearing the yellow dress. It's yeah. the yellow dress that she had left the house in after hooking up with Doris, gone to meet Claudia in the bunker. And then she comes back, has a drink with Doris and then sits on the bed and is thinking about this. And I have to make a confession. I probably spent three hours, a stupid amount of time trying to locate this fucking painting that was on the wall in the room that is like so prominent and I couldn't Ooh, find it. So I'm going to throw this I'm going to throw this into the show notes. And if anyone is like an art major out there and knows what this is, please, for the love of God, tell us. Yeah. <laughs> because she's sitting oh, wow. there on this bed. And I'm telling you, I went through art oh, sites. Oh, I went. What? Oh, what, what? I think I know this painting. Hold Are on. Are you fucking kidding me? I think I do. Hold on. I, I actually don't think it's children. I think it's women, uh, which is crazy. Okay. I think it's a circle of naked women dancing together, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're like in a garden. Yeah. I thought they were children because it's so blurry. Like I tried to zoom in. It looked the colors, the lighting. It looks like it's a, it's a Baroque painting of some kind. And I couldn't find anything in like databases. And there's a dove. Yeah, there's a dove. And I think like what looks like a rabbit in the foreground. What a what an interesting shot. Really, like she is slightly off center and then there's so much light coming towards her from the left that it's illuminating this wall and illuminating the painting and she sits there for a good long while and looks at Tranta and then sits there lost in thought and I'm like this is dark that painting has to mean something. yes yeah I'm, yeah. I'm with yeah. you I'm with you a hundred thousand percent yeah but the first thing I saw when you showed me and I could see it in the distance was like the that traditional um witches yes. painting where yes. it's uh, women dancing in a circle. Um, women dancing or children dancing, holding hands. Yep. There's someone sitting in the center, almost like that's what their focus is on. There's someone yeah. sitting in the middle. Yeah. And it does look like one of those classic, like witchy circle of ritual or circle of celebration yeah. type of deals. And so I was thinking like, if this is something, maybe this is a, a signal of transformation, a ritual of, leaving something behind and moving into something yeah. new. I yeah. don't know. Huh. We're, I'm going to, I'm going to have to dig for that. I'm going to try also. I'm going to spend three hours and come up empty just like you, but <laughs> someone out I there do has think it's to worth know. It. 
Yeah, someone out there has to know. We're requiring aid. Yes, dear listeners, if you have an art degree, if you are an art aficionado, if you have a passion for art and you're good at looking up art, please go check out our show notes and uh, let us know. Uh, This is bad for me. I'm going to be in a hole. I'm oh, yeah. Yeah. I stayed up till 3 a.m. last night. So I was just like, I have to find this fucking picture. So anyway, she she has this interaction with Claudia, right? And she's sitting there and she seems to be really mulling something over and trying to make a decision. After that scene where she's sitting. Oh, and actually real quick, the whole you're beautiful thing. 100 percent. When she is about to leave to meet Claudia, she is wearing the yellow dress. Yep. She Seat. frames Yep. She frames Doris's face with her hand, tells her you're beautiful. And if you look at their body language, I think she is doing that just to uh, assure Doris and tell her, oh, yeah, it's OK. I yeah. love you. Everything's fine. Yeah. But what's interesting is the very first day she gets to Wyndon, Doris helps her make the bed. And that's when their hands brush. Yeah. And Doris starts having what's going on here face. And the very first time that Agnes told Doris you're beautiful, she was wearing a blue dress. So I almost wonder if there is something true there because the first time she told Doris you're beautiful, she was wearing the blue dress of truth and she had to tell her the deceitful Mm. you're beautiful in order to get out to go do what she needed to do with Claudia. But the thing is, is like, um, I I think you've just solidified a little bit of a timeline for me, Acorn, in that um, I think she wanted to get out and you did it with Claudia and then Claudia didn't even really get her freedom. Did she get Agnes freedom? Right. I think she might have. I don't know. Because a thing about Ad or a thing about Noah. So, right. She spends time thinking about this. And then the yeah. next time we see her, she's in 1921. She mo- travels from 1953 to 1921, which is on the IO website and she's in her Heidi braid. She's in her black clothes with her white, you know, collared shirt, looking severe, looking like she was when she was a kid. And this is where she shoots Noah. But what's really interesting is what she says to Claudia in the bunker before that, which was, this is when she was saying, I'm not, a, I'm not scared of Noah anymore. Yeah. Claudia's like, Noah's back. Agnes says, I'm not scared of him anymore. And then Claudia says, almost like a a clarification or a warning, like, you carry the same blood, though. And Agnes says, you can't choose your family. Renouncing your blood means freeing yourself. You said so yourself. Yeah. And so I almost wonder if her time with Claudia was a process of freeing herself from her ties to her family and Sigmundus. And so when she went back, she had no second thoughts about killing her brother because she had already emotionally distanced herself. She had already decided I'm moving on. So I agree with everything that you just said. And here's why I think that is part of the reason why I think Agnes bought her freedom from Adam. She didn't get back into Sigmundus. She walked away and was like, I'm going to leave. I will shoot Noah for you. I will do this thing, but this is the last thing I am doing because I also want it. I also want to shoot him. And here's but she's oh. in the future. She's in the future. She goes to the future, though. After that's what's Noah. next. Wait. Oh, my God. That's but does what's she next. go to what the future or is that in the past? No, no, no for she, her. Does. Oh, okay. she does. She goes. To, okay. Yeah. So she goes to 1921 and shoots her brother. Right. Yeah. If this is right. And actually, this might. Oh, 
this is so good. Agnes might actually be the leading lady that we think she is, because what if Adam only sees her as a moving piece? Yeah. So all he does, because the very last thing he has her do after shooting Noah, they all travel to 2053 into the end of the world. Oh, yeah, that's with right. God particle. I fucking forget about that. And she's standing there with him. And he says, oh, this one, I want to hear your thoughts because it's a very, very brief interaction. Adam looks at her and says, you chose the right side. Don't forget that. He hands her the newspaper clicking about Claude, clipping about Claudia's death and says, you have to give this to Claudia when it's time. And then Adam says, life is a gift for those who know how to use it. And Agnes faintly smiles, almost like she's pleased, but she's trying not to show it. Is this because she knows that with her life, it's a gift for her to use? And now that she's shot Noah and is about to do the final request, Adam's final request of delivering the newspaper clipping, she's free? I actually think it's this. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Because when they reveal finally that our Claudia, the Claudia that we know, is the Claudia who's been playing both sides Mm -hmm. and is big brain Mm -hmm. Claudia, I think she's been working with Claudia the entire time. And in that moment, she's going, I'm laying the groundwork for this to actually end because this Claudia knows (gasps) exactly what we need to do. And he's giving me the ammunition I need. I think she stayed defected. I, I think, think right. she knows the truth with Agnes, which are sorry, with Claudia, which makes sense because she's the only other character who dresses in bright, cl- bright she's colors also a like Claudia. She's, also she's a, a cle- she's she's the a teetaman, dude. The blood. The blood. Back to the bloodline. Read Wait. the blood. Read the blood thing again. Read the thing yeah. that Claudia says again about blood. Yes. Or, yes. Oh, it's Adam. Holy, Adam holy said it. Fuck. Oh, no, 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 no. dude. I know what you're talking about. In the, oh, yeah. Claudia also said something. Yeah. Yeah. Agnes says something. You said to yourself, right? means freeing yourself. Dude, I'm telling you right now. Yep. She stayed defected. She stayed defected. She did exactly. She knew the information from Claudia. She worked that room. Yep. She went back to Adam as like a a spy and did whatever. She killed Noah to get his trust. Yep. She stayed in and then, yeah. I think that's why she said I'm no longer afraid of my brother because I know what I have to do to earn the trust to get back in to make sure this shit gets done so that this all ends and I can actually have true freedom. Full body goosebumps, dude. Okay. She stayed defected. I'm no longer disappointed. I fucking love her. (laughs) Red lipstick is still empowering as shit. (laughs) Dude. Dude. Oh, God. Oh, God. Because think about it. So that means... (laughs) <laughs> so that means that that means that the like uh, crown, the Harriet crown is her mask. Yes. That's her mask. Yep. That is her mask. Yep. Uh, wow. Those are her. Wow. OK, to, to really nail it in here, to really drive it home. Adam and Agnes have this interaction in their end of the world bunker with the God particle. Yeah. She goes off and does whatever she's going to do. Other characters get sent off as well. Martha, pregnant Martha, gets brought to Adam he sacrifices her to the God particle and then stands there and waits. This is maybe like a day or two days of them being yeah. in this location. Right after Martha dies and he realizes nothing happened, Claudia walks in. 
Dude, holy shit, dude. Holy so literally Agnes I didn't fucking even rigged that it, until dude. This moment. Yep, she fucked Agnes off, rigged did it. Her final thing, <laughs> and then Claudia walked in and took care of Adam so they couldn't go after her or whatever. Because that's the moment that we realized that that Claudia is the Claudia who has yep. been playing both sides. Yep. And has rigged this whole thing, which so, means Agnes was playing both sides as well. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because Agnes is also the only other character who wears these bright colors like literally when you look it up she embodies every color just like claudia did holy fucking shit wow dude okay that look between young claudia and adult agnes when they when they catch agnes and doris like banging they have like a thing man yep i buy it oh my god Thank you for carrying the rest of that information. I had, I had like something to start with. We I all felt pieces, good about yeah. what I found, yeah, but yeah. then you guys just added the pieces and made a whole picture, and I feel so good about this. We also puzzle piece that together. Yeah, that we were able to do that with like what four scenes with Agnes and the yeah. whole fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm under undervaluing the amount of scenes we see her more than that, but really, it's not much to go off of at all. I really do. I really do think that she was defected the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I agree. I, absolutely. I'm, I think I'm with that, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sick, man. Dude. Okay. <sighs> so the other thing too, the other thing too, the whole idea of the, the crown, the braided crown. Yeah. Everything's connected. It loops back onto itself, which is super oh, cool. Regular symbolism for that. But also they used to do the laurel crown as a symbol of victory. So <sighs> I wonder... If that was her way of wearing bright clothing while in undercover, oh, that was fuck. her reminder. I'm doing that. I will be victorious. We oh will do God. this. Yeah, yeah, that's like, so metal. Yeah. Like a, so don't they sometimes? <laughs> don't they? Correct me if I'm wrong. Don't they sometimes give uh, saints and martyrs a halo too? Yes. Yeah. Yes. They also sometimes yep. give totally. martyrs a crown. And okay. her whole her whole story is that she is martyring her life to give the gift of freedom. Yep. Right. So which goes back to her. And we think that that she's, yeah. And we think that she's doing that for Adam, but she's been with Claudia the whole time. Or at least since dude, wait, that changes everything. That changes changes everything. everything. So wait a second. So then her, no, her staying with Doris would perpetuate the timeline. But Claudia says, very specifically we have to perpetuate the timeline yeah, in order but, for me to get here yes to a degree but if she doesn't go oh, yeah yeah this is what, what this claudia, really means claudia gives her a gift to say you could stay if That's you want exactly what happened oh. claudia li- listen i am firmly on the ship now claudia says to her you know knowing how important all of this is claudia says she could make you happy or she would or will make you happy as in this is still your choice oh my god dude now that changes everything this is still your choice to make you can stay with her and be happy but i won't succeed at my goal or whatever it's still your choice to make and then she still agnes still chooses not to go back because then she can finally put an end to all of this. And all who of this, is she granting freedom mm. to? Doris. Imagine. Oh, my God. Because Doris lives. Yeah. Oh, Doris my lives. God. <laughs> oh, my 
God, kill me. <laughs> she knows that she's going to die. She yeah. knows that she's going to cease to exist, but Doris yeah. will live. Yep. Oh my God, dude. And also when, if you think about the, if you think about the hairstyle, cause I, the hairstyle for me is very important. Yep. They put her in that hairstyle when she's a kid and right at the very end of her yep. life. Right. So for me, it's so important, but think about it in the way that she takes it back. You know, she yeah. decides to do her hair this way, probably as a way to sort of signify that she's back in Sigmundus. Yeah. But also in this way of like, I have control over this now. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I'm taking on my my old persona and I'm taking it back with control this time. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. Fuck, yeah. What you just said really, I, I totally forgot Agnes will cease to exist because she yes. was the product yeah. Well, wait, is she? Yes. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yes, because her parents were Bartosh and Celia. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh my God, you're right. So, so I think she. Yeah. She'll oh. be wiped. She'll be wiped. And wow, man. That that is why she mm-hmm. smiles when yep. Adam says life is a gift for those yep. who can use it, and she's like, "Yes, it is." Yeah. And I'm going to give that gift to Doris. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. He stole my heart. Okay. Holy shit. Dude. Dude. What a uh, literal 180, 180. on this. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. went from like she's a she's plot never device loved her, to blah blah blah, which may still be true. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that because there was so much to say she didn't feel the same way. But even so, she she felt strongly about buying freedom and ending the cycle. With Claudia. Yeah. She felt on the same line as Claudia, yeah. we're actually going to end this cycle of madness. Because so. when you think about it, that that movement of him giving her the article saying this is when Claudia dies, she needs that. She needed him to give her yeah. that in order for Claudia's story and Claudia's plan to go to work. Yeah, work. it was the one thing so, she needed. Yep. So You're she right, needed dude. to go back into Sigmundus. She needed to kill Noah in order to gain that favor, in yeah. order to get that. And, and if so we look at it that way. The whole idea of Claudia telling her, like, you know, you have to free yourself. You know, don't be afraid of Noah. And then finally saying the time has come and she's like, I'm no longer afraid of him. I can yeah. do this, you know? Yeah. That's just so cool. And it, it it also just changes her whole narrative, man. She's not simply a plot device. Thank you so much, Dark Writers. I was so scared when I was doing my initial <laughs> research. I was so bummed when I was looking into all of this. So it's like, it's just so great to do that 180. And I'm so happy. And now she is the symbol of power. And I I'm going to reapply my red lipstick. And yes, like I'm <laughs> yeah. so yes. fucking into it. I'm know. so glad I didn't take mine off. Yeah. I was this close. So I had like have. <laughs> you were like, oh, well, that's it. But yeah, no, it was good. So that's. Wow, man. That's yeah, Agnes. That's it. Yeah, that's Agnes. <sighs> cool. What an episode, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we do some shout outs? Yes. Um, hi, I'm Acorn Bandit. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit. You can also find me on joysons.com where I create enamel pins. And if you want to see all my links, including uh, the link to my current project, which is writing a novelization of the Final Fantasy X game for the 20th anniversary, you can go to joisans.com slash pages slash acorn. And I'm Murgles. Uh, you can check me out on Twitch if you'd like. I'm a storyboard artist and an animator and a filmmaker, and I'm currently making my own film, my third film actually, on Twitch, live on Twitch. So if you're interested in how animated films get made, 
Uh, you can come by. I also love answering questions. If you just want to talk about the trade, it's my favorite thing to talk about. So come say hi. Hey. And I'm Pumpkinberry. And you can find me at Twitch and Twitter at Pumpkinberry. Um, you can also see all the crazy fun stuff that I'm up to over at Pumpkinberry.tv, which is technically a lie. I don't have the links up yet, but I will. Right <laughs> after recording this, I will do it. Um, but yeah, you can see all the fun stuff that I'm up to at Pumpkinberry.tv. My current project is um, I am running an improv, live improv show, MK Ultra style creepy show called The Cerebrum Project on Saturdays. It's live, but the whole thing is viewable um, via tablestory.tv slash Cerebrum. And again, the link you can find is at pumpkinberry.tv. So you can check that out if you like. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. But this was a great episode. So thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And of course, if we've missed anything, you can tweet us individually or you can use the hashtag darkcompanionpod or email darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. And once again, if any of you know what that painting is in the show notes, please, we need help. It means something. We know it. And of course, special thanks to Johnny for letting us use the beautiful cover art. You can find him over at Twitter at Johnny Knight. And that is spelled J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. And we are proudly part of the Geek Generation Network. You can find more awesome podcasts related to cool, nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into dark. We'll be back next Thursday with a Radio Winden. And after that will be episode number 24, guess, which is... Guess what we're talking about? The unknown. No. Oh, <gasps> fuck. oh no. Our, the unknown and our critiques. We're just going to let you guys know yep, now. We're, right this now. is where we're going to air all of our dirty laundry, all the critiques we have about the show, the things that we don't like, because we've been gushing this whole time. Yep. You know what? We're going to just, we're going to go do that research and you know what's gonna happen we're gonna fucking fall in love with the unknown no. and find a bunch of reasons <laughs> about why he's awesome no. and why he changes everything and no. how cool he is now no god <laughs> no i can't i'm sorry i'm calling it right now i i just can't we didn't think that we could ever like hannah listen the show would be better <laughs> without the unknown you don't need him and i'm i stand by that you know what it's going to be to my mission like, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be my mission. I've decided to take upon this mission to find a reason why the unknown should be in the show okay. and why he's great. Okay. I are, I already hate the words coming out of yeah. my mouth. <laughs> but that's, that's why we're the perfect fit for this podcast, because yes. we will do our yes. due diligence and we will give it a try. And we have an yeah. open mind. So you It'll have to speak for yourself. Showdown. Listeners, I'm you kidding. have one week to tell us why the unknown is awesome or why the unknown is trash. Everyone <laughs> is going to tell us why the unknown is trash. I don't think I've ever seen a single thing about the unknown where someone was like, love the unknown. Well, unknown stands for life. You don't need him. And he's all like <laughs> creepy and he doesn't say anything. And he's just, there's always the three of them present. And it's just like, yeah. it's the most Hollywood. Okay, stop. <laughs> Next time on Dark Companion Pod, find out why I'm raging about the unknown in... Two weeks from now. Bye. See you then. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>